You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. Hey, it's so good to be here. You guys are good. It's so good to be here with you today. My name is Matt, lead pastor at Kingsway. And uh, we've been going through the book of Luke. And so if you're visiting with us, first time here, welcome. We're super glad you're with us. Uh, it'll be totally fine that you are not with everything we've covered up to this point. You can always go online and listen and catch back up. But otherwise, you'll be with us today. I'm in Luke chapter five, but I wanna show you a story Jesus tells later in Luke chapter six, because we're gonna use this story over and over and over again for the next few weeks to lay a foundation. And here's kind of what it looks like. I don't know if you've ever been to the beach, but a year ago, my parents took my family and my sister's family to Myrtle Beach together. And there comes this point, right? You go out and the waves are coming in and they're going out and you just stand there. And like, you, you, you kind of mess with your kids, right? Like, how long can you stand here before you fall over? But what happens after a while is you're standing there and the waves come and take the sand out from under your feet, right? In the arches, you start to find just how flexible your arches really are as it just starts to kind of bow around your foot and your foot takes on a completely different shape. And the next thing you know, a big enough wave comes and sooner or later knocks you over, right? The wave always wins. Well, Jesus gives that same kind of analogy in the book of Luke, chapter six. He says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Now, the word for Lord there is master, curios in the Greek. It's this idea of, yes, God is Lord, but when we say that God is Lord, what we mean is he is a ruler of all creation. So his way is the right way by definition. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Aren't you glad you came to Kingsway today? Super glad you're here today, right? But this is what Jesus is trying to get to. I know how to do life. If you'll listen to me, if you'll practice what I'm teaching you, it will make your life on a firm foundation because sooner or later, the floodwaters are going to come. Now, what could the floodwaters be? Well, let's just think about it for a minute. Floodwaters are anything that's really out of your control. You can't control inflation. You can't control the market prices. You can't control the market. You can't control a collapse. You can't control a war. You can't control a famine. You can't control a tornado. You can't control an earthquake. You can't control your own kids. I know, believe it right? You can't control your spouse. There's a lot of things you can't control. And so when life happens and hard times come and the floodwaters rise, if your life is built on shifting sand, you're going to find yourself falling over. But if your life is built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and his teachings, then even though the storms come, even though the wind blows, even though the sand shifts, you'll be built on a firm foundation and you'll survive the storm. Now, with that being said, what we wanna do over the next few weeks is look at how that will apply to some of the things Jesus has taught and even will later teach later on. So let me just kind of start with this question. Has there ever been a season in your life where you just didn't have peace? And this could come for any number of reasons, right? It could come for some of those storm water moments we just talked about. But there's something going on. There's this angst in you. There's this anxiety in you. What is it? What's driving that? Just in the last week, I've had a couple conversations with people 
And literally, literally, just in one week, I've had a conversation with one person who's experienced two tragic deaths in the last month. And another conversation, I'm watching this person who's done some things they're profoundly embarrassed that they've done. And so when we're talking about them, they can't make eye contact with anybody in the room because they know and they, their eyes just keep being drawn to the ground as it's clearly impacted the way they feel about themselves. I've talked to others just recently who are dealing with some hardships and some struggles. See, hard times are going to come. They're going to come for all of us. And it creates a sense of insecurity. But I don't know if you know this or not. Paul, in the Bible, he talks about having a peace that passes understanding. And what he means by that is there's this peace about you that doesn't make sense when I add up all the numbers, right? It's like doing math when you're in school in Kentucky and two and two made five. No. I love you. My wife's here. Okay, anyway. <laughs> if you're from Kentucky, I'm sorry. I should have I picked somewhere else. I apologize. Anyway. But you get the idea, right? It doesn't, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Why would I have peace in this situation? But that's what Jesus wants to bring us. What I want to do is take you to the text today in Luke chapter 5. If you want to open there with me, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. If you have your own Bible, if not, it'll all be on the screen. No worries. I do encourage you to bring your own Bible or get a digital Bible. Start following with this. One gentleman who's only been at Kingsway for about three months, um, he said he hasn't missed a Sunday. When he was unable to be, on, be here and present, he went online and watched the service. And he started reading the text before the Sunday. That's a great idea. You should try it sometime. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and we're just coming out of where we were last week, picking right up where we were, verse 27. We're going to meet a man whose life doesn't have peace. Ready? After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. I gave reference to this in the last service, but I forgot to just plainly say it. So when you talk to all your friends who were at the 9 a.m. service, you could say you got the better end of the deal. But Levi here is a guy whose name is Matthew, Matthew. We know that because when you go to the gospel book of Matthew, the very first gospel book, we find the exact same story. So what that leads us to believe, though it doesn't say it outright, is that most likely he got a name change like Peter did and like Paul did and like others in the Bible have gotten. See, what happens is a lot of times we're given a name at birth, but then when we meet Jesus and he so radically changes us, we want to identify ourselves by that new thing, by his change in our life. In the, movie, the TV show, The Chosen, which I reference on a regular basis, and I'm sorry, I get paid no money for free advertising for them. <laughs> but The Chosen, they have chosen to make Matthew or Levi, they've chosen to make him on the spectrum. We don't actually have any information that says that he's on the spectrum, just to be clear. But I do think it's fascinating the way they tell his story because of what we see here. So Levi's sitting at his tax booth. Jesus says, follow me. And immediately he leaves everything and follows him. He immediately left everything and followed him. Why is that a big deal? Well, we say tax collector in our English translation. It's really more what's called a publican, not a Republican, a publican. And this is what's fascinating. So if I, if I could just unpack this for a second, it'll make the story make a lot more sense. So a tax collector, if you will, or a publican, if you will, uh, they worked for the Roman government. 
Rome was this powerful nation, perhaps one of, if not the most powerful nation really in the history of the world. They just would go around and basically they would come to a nation, another nation that they wanted to take over their land and they would ask them to surrender. And if that nation surrendered, great. What Rome would do is absorb them into their culture and impose on them certain systems and rules and things they had to follow. They had to worship the Roman imperial cult among other things. Uh, They had to take on their coins and their language and the whole nine yards. And a lot of times, if a nation would surrender, they could come up with some parts of, you can keep these elements of your culture as long as you bring in Roman culture. If you said no, and you tried to go to war with Rome, usually Rome would absolutely decimate you, and then they'd absorb you into their culture anyway. But it would take a lot of pain and that kind of thing. Well, Israel had become part of the Roman culture, but they were under Roman oppression. So Rome was ruling over them, but Rome had, uh, had all these rules and things, but they gave the Jews a certain amount of flexibility so that the Jews could worship their God and not adopt all of the Roman gods as long as they kind of kept it quiet and didn't get in the way, didn't get too noisy. And that becomes a problem later in the Gospels when Pilate and others, there's all these kind of uproars from the zealots are trying to create these problems and Pilate's just trying to tamp everything down and make it stop. That's kind of what's happening there because that's the normal pattern. Because he's like, Rome has given you guys these breaks, just stop being so problematic for us. Now, what happened is, the way that Rome would do this is they would hire from within, they would take, like in this case, a Jewish person and make them a tax collector. And the Rome would have their, their tax, which was really, really high. Do you remember back when you were in school and they taught you about something called the Pax Romana? You remember like, hey, I remember hearing that word somewhere. Well, the Pax Romana is many things, but it stood for the peace of Rome. And some things that came out of the Pax Romana is that um, there were roads that were built connecting all of these countries and areas and regions that Rome was conquering. That actually became a really good thing for the gospel because this allowed the disciples to, and, and the later evangelicals, to go all over the known world and take the good news of Jesus Christ on the very roads that the taxes that they were giving to had built, that were being collected by these tax collectors. In addition to that, one of the other things that Rome said is they, they implemented an international language So everybody had to use one language so that when you went from town to town to town, traveling on these roads, you could communicate with anybody you came in contact with. And the other thing is they had a common coin system so that you could do financial exchange. It was actually quite genius of Rome to do that. But the way that they were able to accomplish all of that was on the backs of the everyday person. Now, what would happen is um, there was a class system like there is in any nation. There's a class system in America. I don't love it, but it's the nation we live in. It just is what it is. And this is still true in much of the world today. I'm not an expert. I'd probably say most of the world, but I, I don't honestly know. But there was a small upper class financially, and they had a lot, a lot of resources. And then there was a large, what you would call financial lower class and a smaller middle class. The American financial system is built to have a large middle class so that as many people as possible can get into that and not try to have this large lower class of small upper class. And that's another political conversation for another day. I'm just trying to help you paint the picture. Now, these tax collectors, Republicans, they would have been that elite financial group of people on the upper echelon. So part of the reason why everybody hates the tax collectors is because they have lots and lots of money. And there's just simply a, a huge disparity between the people like the fishermen, say, Peter and Andrew, James and John, who are disciples, who are trying to make a go of it every single day to survive, and these guys who have lots and lots of resources. We'll even see later in this very story where Levi or Matthew can even throw a big party for a lot of his buddies because he's got tons of money to do it. It's not a problem for him. 
So not only that, but since he's a Jew and he works for Rome and he's rich and he works for Rome, the Jewish people can't stand him. They see him as a traitor. He's one of those guys. He should be one of us. He's got our descent. He looks like us, but he's working for them. And not only that, not only did he have to charge what Rome told him to charge, but he was allowed to add his own usury fees on top and he didn't even have to be consistent or fair in those usury fees and they didn't have any choice. I mean, what could a common merchant, small businessman, fisherman, whatever do? I mean, even if you wanted to take on, say, one of these publicans and challenge him, he's got the backing of the Roman government, the very group of people who can go and conquer nations, I mean, even if you dared to try to harm one of them, it wouldn't take long before your family was eliminated. It's like the, the, right, the ancient mafia. They were, they were Italian. It probably works. Anyway, I'm Italian, so if you're Italian, go with me here. Nobody thought that was a little funny. All right, we'll move on. All right, little Goomba up here. I'll just sleep my hair back next time. All right, where am I going right now? What is happening? All right, so what happened was the people hated the tax collectors, hated them. So much so that when you read your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see them often referred to as the worst of the worst. You'll see phrases like prostitutes and tax collectors or tax collectors and other notorious sinners. It's like you get these categories of these people are immoral, then you got all these other sinners, oh, and then there's that special elite group of sinners, the tax collectors. And it's a real thing going on. And Jesus goes right up to one of these dudes, Levi, who again is Matthew, and just says, follow me. And he leaves everything. And he follows it. But it brings up a great question for us to wrestle with. Is there a group of people that you believe are your greatest enemy? I want you to think about this for a second. Is there a person? If it's not a group of people, is it a person? What if it's a, um, a parent who is particularly abusive or mean? What if it's somebody who you can identify by the language that they speak that's different than the language you speak? Or maybe they live in a certain area of the world. And maybe because of your job or role one day, you actually had to go to war against them. What if it's somebody with a certain color of skin? Or what if they, when they go to vote, they have a D or an R before their name? What if it's somebody with another set of letters, maybe some rainbow colors, and they identify a certain way and you think to yourself, that's what's wrong with fill in the blank. See, whatever group comes to mind, whatever person comes to mind, whoever it is that right now maybe God is bringing top of mind to you, that's this guy. But what we're gonna see in the text is Jesus wants to save everyone. 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 In fact, Levi is so touched. There's something about Jesus. Of course, he's doing all these miracles and everybody wants to see the show, right? Everybody asks Jesus, do another one, do another one. Jesus is like, no, I'm not, I'm not a monkey. I'm not just gonna dance. But there's something about Jesus that not just does he do these crazy miracles, but when he sits with people at meals, it's like they feel drawn into the conversation. They don't feel judged or condemned. They don't feel pushed away. They don't feel argued with. I think we struggle to get this principle. I think I struggle to get this principle sometimes. There is a time to speak the truth in love. But there's something about Jesus that people are like, I wanna hear more. 
Take a look at verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. A large crowd of tax collectors. I wonder what a large crowd meant. Maybe 30, 50, 100, I don't know. I mean, if we can have feeding of 5,000 men, a large crowd's gotta be a decent number, whatever decent means, I don't know. I do think it's fascinating. So Levi, not only is he walking away from his business and his money and his resources to follow Jesus, that's the implication and that's what we're gonna see. He eventually writes the book of Matthew. He becomes one of the 12 apostles. He leaves all of his money and financial wealth and stability and everything he's ever known to go after Jesus. And yet he doesn't just go after Jesus, he makes sure that all of his friends go with him. And this is the thing. See, the longer you do this thing called church, the, the longer you do this thing with Jesus and walk with him, the more he's gonna start to change your life and you're gonna find your life changing. You're gonna find that all those foul words you used to use at work and hanging out with your buddies, all of a sudden you're like, man, I just don't feel like I should be talking like that anymore. And you start to change your language and you don't feel like you fit in anymore. And you know, all your buddies get together and they all drink and they all do certain things. They all tell jokes, certain kinds of jokes and they talk about women and, and they point out certain parts of women. And you're, you just sit there and go, man, I'm, I'm starting to spend more time with Jesus and Jesus followers. And I find that I don't really enjoy talking that way anymore. And I, it really makes, I'm sensitive about how my wife feels in those moments. Or, you know, the Bible says to treat, you know, all women as your mother or as your sister and you. And so it's like, you're, you're just trying to figure it out, right? Or maybe if you're a female, you're just sitting around, you find it's like everybody's sitting around gossiping and talking about everybody else and everybody else is messed up or everything's all cat or, or whatever it is. And you, you just find yourself going, Man, I just want to be an encourager. I just want to build people up. I don't want to be that woman anymore. But what happens is, as we feel more and more uncomfortable with who we used to be, we lose contact with those that Jesus wants to build a bridge to. And I don't have some magical answer for you, because I know this, if we walk with the wise, we'll grow wise. If we walk with fools, we'll become fools. And yet, we cannot lose the tension of this text. We have to find ways to not throw stones at people who are far from God. Because there was a moment in our life where we were far from God. There was a moment in our life when we needed a savior and we needed a Lord. And the longer that we do this thing called faith, it's just so easy to forget that. And I just wanna encourage you not to lose sight of that. Because if you don't, you're gonna become like the Pharisees. Look at the very next verse, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, they say? What's wrong with you? Don't you know you ought to hang out with the best of the best? By the way, they mean themselves, right? Remember in the previous story, the paralyzed man, if you were here last week, his friends couldn't even get him in to see Jesus because the Pharisees and all of their buddies are keeping everybody out. Like if you just study chapter five, you could just say it's a commentary on don't be a Pharisee. And it is in part. The Pharisees here, they just don't understand the heart of God. In their mind, Jesus should hang out with people like them. You know, the really, really good moral people. That's the kind of people Jesus ought to be with. And yet here's Jesus calling Levi, this special elite sinner, tax collector, to hang out with him. And I find that fascinating. 
But Jesus goes even further than that in other texts. If you read your Gospels, Jesus has some extremely strong words for these Pharisees. And I want to receive them. Remember, we started with Jesus saying, don't just call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. So I want to look at what Jesus says for a minute, and I want to study it, and then ask ourselves, like, how do we receive the wisdom of Jesus for ourselves? Now, in a couple weeks, we're actually going to go through what's called the woes. Jesus has woes for the Pharisees in a few weeks. So I'm not gonna go through the book of Luke because we're gonna cover that in a couple weeks. But I'm gonna show you in the book of Matthew, who is Levi. I wanna show you some of his wisdom for these Pharisees, ready? Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. The word woe is a biblically rich, meaningful word. Every Pharisee that was near Jesus, when he said, whoa, would hear and know, this is like saying, you're in a car, it's going 100 miles an hour, it's driving right towards a cliff, and this is your last chance to pump the brake before you go off the edge. That is what woe means. Woe is the strongest possible warning. Watch out. You are about to die. I'm not joking. And he says, woe to you Pharisees, the religious elite, the best of the best of the best, woe to you, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. I wonder why these guys crucified him. (laughs) He's doing this in public. He's saying these things publicly. He's doing it because he loves them. Did you know that? I mean, that doesn't sound very loving. See, there's, there's different kinds of warning, right? If my kid comes up to me, my kids are teenagers mostly, right? And they, they start messing with their dad, and I say, you better back up off. <laughs> I mean, that first warning's, you know, pretty gentle. But if they just keep messing around, they keep escalating, dad gets a little firmer as he goes. If they were to ever and they haven't, but if they were to ever try to get up on their mother, daddy would not be playing. Daddy would not puff out his chest and joke about you need to back down. Daddy would be very strong and very firm. If my kids got wrapped up in drugs or alcohol or something else that was just destroying their life, daddy would not just be gentle. I would be using very harsh words in a loving way. Because we are past the point of warning. We are to the point of you are dangerous. But it's all out of love. It's I love you too much to see you ruin your lives and the lives of others. The Pharisees literally are the ones who killed Jesus. They're going to do everything they can to stop him. And Jesus lets them, but he still tries to warn them. And his warning is pretty clear. This word here, hypocrite, it's literally a Greek word that refers to an actor on a stage. I didn't show this for you today, but when I went to Israel last year, they have these amphitheaters everywhere, and they are amazing, amazing. 2,000 years ago, what they understood about sound is crazy. I'll I'll do some of this throughout our series on Luke. I'll show you some of these. But we did this at one moment. I think it was at Caesarea by the, by the sea. It's this, this outdoor amphitheater right by the sea. And you could stand down front, down on the stage. And I could be way up at the top like I was. And you could hear somebody talking as loud as I'm talking now with no microphone or system to help project their voice. Literally, they read a passage of the Bible and we could hear them. It was just amazing. 
So what would happen is they'd have people come out on these stages and they would act out these plays and women weren't generally allowed to act in the plays so the men would dress up as women and act out the plays. And the whole idea here is the word to describe those actors in those plays, you know, you've got somebody acting like someone they're not and their job is to convince you that they are the part. And that's what Jesus is saying these guys are doing. They're acting the part. On the outside, they look like they've got it all together. They're wearing all the garb that a Pharisee wears. They've got all their phylacteries and all their tzitzits. And if you don't know what these things are, they're all commanded in the Old Testament of a religious teacher. Oh, they've got all the outside garb, but inside they're just as evil and as vile as everybody else. And he's calling them to acknowledge their brokenness. And he goes on in the next verse and he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. I'm waiting for the slide to flip but I'll keep going. There we go. You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, why is Jesus talking so harshly to this group? Part of it, don't miss this, Part of it is because this group is responsible to teach the people God's ways. And Jesus is going, you aren't even capable to teach people God's ways because you aren't even living God's ways. Sometimes he he rebukes the Pharisees. He says, you guys are so careful. You're so careful to follow all the laws. You literally go through your garden. You cut up all of your garden, like your mint, your cumin, and things like that. You get exactly 10%. You measure it all perfectly. So you could take to 10% to God and give him 10% as God asked for you to give. But you miss the bigger things. Like justice and mercy, you miss these things. You, 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 you strain out the, the gnat to swallow the camel. It's like you guys are just so focused on the wrong things. And the reason I say all of that is because, first, if you are a believer in this room, guard your heart. You have to guard it. You have to double guard it. You've got to guard it from the influence of the people that used to be like you used to be. But you also have to guard it from becoming a Pharisee and becoming harsh or cruel or judgmental of those who still need the love of God. And my challenge to you, my encouragement to you is, may we seek to have the heart of Jesus toward the lost and the broken of this world. That's what we're aiming for. So a few months back, we challenged various people like, hey, I just want you to pray. Ask God to give you a name. Do you have a name? Get a name? Did God give you a name of somebody who's far from God? And people all over these pillars, on this right one here and this left one here, I guess for you, it'd be mirror image, on this left one here and this right one here, uh, and then also on the front of the stage, people put these names. And it's just been so cool to watch God answer the prayers of people. On Easter, I got a picture from somebody, and it was just a bunch of people standing in front of our cross with the colors out there, and they just said, Matt, there are three people in this picture that are on those pillars and we've been praying for them. Like, yes, right? Yes. And then uh, somebody else told me this story and said, man, I started praying and God gave me a name. And I was like, yeah, not that person. God, I was thinking this person. Because like, I really like them and connect with them and click with them. It's not there's nothing wrong with that person, but I was just thinking this other person. The more they prayed, the more God kept saying the other person. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, if that ever happens, great. But this person... And then a week or two later, that person reached out and was like, hey, I've been thinking about going to church. I think I could go with you sometime. And I was like, okay, God, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, here's the thing, guys. We believe that God is alive and well. He's active. He's, he didn't die on a cross to say dead. He died on a cross. He rose in the dead. He went up into heaven, and he says, and I am with you always. He's ruling, and he's reigning from heaven. He is alive and active in your neighbor's lives. And if you don't like your neighbor, it's still true. 
and in your kids' lives. And if you have distance between you and your kids, it's still true. And in your parents' lives, and there's brokenness there, it's still true. And in your siblings' lives. And in that person at work who cheated you out of the job. And in your ex-boyfriend, spouse, business partner. So the question for all of us is, God, what are you doing in the lives of people? And then how do I throw a party and invite them into the story? So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what kind of peace you're desiring but not experiencing. But I know that God loves you. And I know that God wants a relationship with you. I hear this all the time as a pastor. I could never go to church because if I showed up, the building would burn down. I promise you. I promise you. It would have burned down a long time ago from my kids, if, I'm just kidding, I'm joking, my kids are amazing, they get it from their mom, okay, I gotta make up for the Kentucky joke, I'm just, <laughs> but I don't know what baggage you're carrying, right, I don't know what's going on in your world, I don't know what storm waters are, are coming along, what flood waters are, are washing away your foundation, but look, Jesus wants you to build your life on him. I know this, um, I reached out to a guy, he's only been at Kingsway a little over a year, he'll tell the story in just a minute, and, uh, gave his life to Christ, and I said, can I use your testimony kind of as an example for the sermon? He said, yeah. So I said, would you write it out for me? He said, yeah. So I wanna read you Marcos's story here. Ready? He says, good morning, church. I used to think a testimony had something to do with being in court and getting questioned by a lawyer, at least until I came to Kingsway. I came to find out that a testimony is about sharing who you are today. My name is Marcos Trujillo. I'm a 13-year Marine Corps veteran. I was medically separated for a knee injury that was not getting any better, which eventually led to my official discharge in April of 2022. Everything was going well for a couple weeks, but then I was suddenly faced with the toughest challenge of my life. There were two major challenges in front of me. First, I started to feel as if I had lost my purpose. I was 30, and the Marine Corps was all I had known since I was 17 years old. Being a Marine gave me a strong sense of meaning and purpose. Second, I was living with my cousin in Danville while my wife and family stayed back in North Carolina for a short season. Not having my family with me fed the flames of depression and anxiety. Having lost my purpose and missing my family, I began to slip into this dark place. You know that place where the light never shines? You start faking smiles every day even though inside you're screaming? My mind was running wild with depression. I had lost who I was. My cousin had no idea how bad I was struggling and I want him to hear me, cousin, you saved me. He would ask me Sunday after Sunday if I wanted to attend Kingsway with him. Deep down inside, I wanted to say yes. In fact, I was screaming yes. But verbally, I would say, no, I'm okay. Over and over. One Sunday morning, they ended up staying home and tuned into the sermon from YouTube. I could hear and see the TV from the dining table. I remember the timer coming on the TV. The, began, the band began to play, the music, the message, everything about it. I just knew this is what I'm missing. For the next couple of months, I began to binge every series on the Kingsway app. By the way, I tell people all the time, if you can't sleep at night, I've got years of sermons <laughs> out there. You could take that one of two ways, all right. <laughs> I watched it at home, at work, and listened to it while I was driving. I heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and I believed. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable of a shepherd who has 100 sheep. Out of 100, one of them becomes lost. So the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. I believe in that moment, I was the one lost sheep. Jesus was the shepherd that Sunday, and I have found my new purpose. That purpose is to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Amen. It gets better. Yeah, that's great. My cousin planted the mustard seed. I just needed a little watering. I have grown so much spiritually in such a short period of time. I have completed starting point. I've gone to rooted, and I serve whenever I can. Originally, I joined the Marines to avoid going to college. That was my plan. God has a different plan for me now as I find myself pursuing a bachelor's degree in Christian studies. Never in a million years would I have thought I would be a college student. I hope that one day with this degree that I can make an impact on others' lives as Kingsway has made an impact on mine. What a blessing it is to witness the Lord's work, to think my walk with Christ started at a kitchen table in front of a TV. I thank the Lord for the light he provided in the darkness because the darkness will never overcome his light. Thank you, God, and thank you, Kingsway. Amen, right? Yeah. So last service, it was actually extra special because Marcos and Chelsea baptized his wife, Andrea. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Last service, super cool. All right, I had a lot of clapping, right? Now, why do I tell that story? Marcos wasn't a tax collector. I don't know whatever sin or shame was in his past, but he'd lost his way and he needed a savior. And it was just some people who believed in the love of Jesus that attended Kingsway and they just kept being persistent, annoyingly persistent, right? They just kept inviting and inviting and inviting and inviting and inviting and inviting. And then next thing you know, his whole life is being radically changed by the love of Jesus. And that's possible for all of us. In fact, Jesus ends this little section. He says this in Luke chapter five, verse 31. Jesus answers them. He's talking to the Pharisees. Remember the complainers? And he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, when you put that together with all those woes that I read you, the thing is the righteous, the Pharisees think they are, they aren't. They're just as lost as everyone else. That's the point. Jesus tells this story later in the book of Luke. So we'll cover it again, probably multiple times. In Luke 18, he gives this parable about a, a religious service. And um, a Pharisee walks into the religious service and he starts to pray. And he says, oh God, thank you that I'm not like these sinners and tax collectors. But then this tax collector wanders into the back of the room and he won't even look up to heaven. He keeps his eyes fixed on the ground and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, that man walked away justified that day. And you go, how? He's still the elite class of sinner. And Jesus says, because he had a humble heart, ready to acknowledge his brokenness and cry out to God for help. That's who our God is. So look, I don't know where you are, but if you need Jesus, we want to introduce him to you. At the end of our service, over off to my left and right, we always have our, our connect team. You just go up to them and say, man, I was really touched by today's message. I, I don't know what to do next. Can you help me? You can go by our connect hub and just say, hey, what's next for me? What do I do next? You don't have to go into all the deep details of the story. That's okay. Just start a conversation. But for everybody else who loves Jesus in this room, and that's a lot of you, I want to give you a challenge. I want, yes, if you haven't written a name on the stage or on the pillar, you can always do that. We keep the markers out. I believe now you can get a marker and write a name anytime you want. But I want to encourage you to go further than name. I want you to be relentlessly persistent in chasing down people on behalf of Jesus. Why don't you take that name that got put in your mind, that person you just, they just make you frustrated, angry, and irritated. Why don't you invite them to lunch or coffee or pick up the phone and call them? And I know what you're thinking. There's literally no way. Do you know who they are? Do you know what they've done? Do you know who Levi is? Do you know what he did? 
Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? And if it weren't for God's grace in my life through other people around me, I wouldn't be here today and neither would you. So let's give others the grace that we desperately need and then watch what God can do. Let me pray for you. And then we're just gonna stand and sing. And this song is just intended to encourage us in our faith. In fact, let's do that different. Let's all stand and I'll pray and then we'll sing. Oh my God. There's a fear that comes over some of us when we start thinking about whoever that person is that is far from you and what it would require of us to engage them in a conversation about you and about whatever the brokenness is, to love them. There's something about Jesus. When he sat at the meal, everybody felt okay in his presence. So God, how do we create that environment when we're with others, God, that others would feel okay in our presence? Teach us your ways, Father, that we might look more and more and more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.